0: All right, guys, welcome back to the 307 podcast. This is an awesome conversation that we have here uh, during this episode all about forming cohesion or unity within a team, all right? And then we also talk about once you form that unity, how to be effective as a single organism or unit moving in the direction of a goal Uh, and this is a valuable, valuable thing to know how to do. If you're a leader, uh, if you have a business, uh, if you want to do something good in the world, I guarantee you, you're going to have to form a team around you in order to accomplish that. Now, we break the process down in terms of how we accomplish that at a training that we host called the proving ground all right you guys may have heard of it we've ran four of these proving ground missions we only run two a year and it's unbelievable what we accomplish with a group of 25 strangers and individuals within literally 48 hours and this is how we do it. We talk about how we break it down. If you want to join us at the next Proving Ground mission, it's going to be Troop 5, January 20-22, through 22, 2023. All right? Those are the dates. Registration is open right now, and it will only be open for seven days. So registration is open from right now when you're listening to this if you're listening to this soon enough, until May 11th at 5 p.m. It's limited to 25 team members. So only 25 signups. If any spots are left after May 11th, it will be via application process only. All right. So after May 11th, you're going to have to send in an application and we will hand select Uh, who we want to fill the remaining spots. The reason I did this is because I want to reward you guys with the opportunity to sign up for this mission uh, if you are motivated and ready to train. And that's the reason I did it this way. So it's open till May 11th. After that, it'll be application process only. If you want to join us, visit the link in the show notes of this episode to register for The Proving Grounds. In my opinion, it is, I would put this training up against any other training out there. I would run a SEAL platoon through this training and they would benefit from it. So, super pumped to announce that. I hope you guys get some good takeaways out of this episode on how you can unify a team in your own lives, in your own business, uh, in your own mission in life. This is such a valuable skill uh, to know how to do this and and as a leader to know how to bring people together as a cohesive unit moving forward in the direction of an objective i hope you guys enjoy this show without further ado here it is all right everyone welcome back to the 307 podcast we've got the team the full team in here today just got done with the awesome team pt you know chili i'm getting good man i'm getting back to where i need to be at what you know just at being fierce dude i mean i, I i'm ready to crush some people and i don't know where you were today what happened on that run man
1: how am I supposed to answer that i mean what happened you did you just gas did you were you just gassed out no what I don't know. I don't know how much more you came in than me. A couple minutes, 3 yeah, 4 minutes. Yeah, a couple minutes, minutes right. yeah. That's what happened.
0: You were you just out of gas? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what you're telling me, right? Yeah, how many
1: times are you going to ask the same question? Well, I'm going to need you, you to You look get, like I, a numbskull. I mean, I Well, I'm going to need you to get back in shape, buddy. <laughs> All right. I concur.
0: Because um you know I need you on my heels, dude. So don't make this a repeat of last summer.
1: What do you mean? Where I
0: beat you every time. Let's improve this summer. All right. You remember when Chili went and did his own workout that day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was a bad day.
1: When I ran extra. (laughs) Oh, man, that was funny.
0: All right. I got a question for y'all starting off the bat. For you two listeners, let us know. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Ted Nugent, and Jimi Hendrix. Which one, which one wins?
1: You asking me? Yeah, I don't I'm know asking who, all you guys. I don't know who none of these are. I know who Ted Nugent is, but
0: you don't know who Stevie Ray Vaughan is dude? no, or Jimi Hendrix. They're they're legendary guitar players. Well, good for them. Like legendary masters, people know more people know them than know George Washington.
1: Well, I know who George Washington is. So, so who suck who, on
0: that? Who would you guys say would be the winner of those three? Well, I mean, it's not Ted Nugent. He's good. I mean, but Ted's it's not good. Him. It's not him. I mean, that lick he plays on Stranglehold is it's legit. Yeah, it's just one lick though. <laughs> it's a lick though. <laughs> what? Well, how about you, Krista? What do you think?
2: I think I'd go toward Jimi Hendrix personally. Really?
0: Okay. It's different styles. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. I don't. It. I don't know how you measure their uh, capabilities, but it's different styles. They're both. They're both the elite. Well, I'm gonna have. For me personally, I'm gonna go with Stevie Ray Vaughan for a few reasons. One. He told all them he told all them jokers back then. He said, I can play the guitar better than you guys can behind my back. And he did it. Watch him at a concert, he did it. And the other thing I love about Stevie Ray Vaughn is his style. Man, he's got that that um what it what would it be like New Orleans Creole? Like he's got a skunk tail hanging off his hat and his his pants are like cleated at the bottom and he's got these suede boots on and i mean his style is just off the chain man and he's up there just rocking that guitar and he's just covered in sweat just behind his back all over the place just laying it down son and he's ugly as crap yeah he is ugly But, man, he makes it look good. He makes ugly look good. Everybody wants to be ugly when they see him. (laughs) When you see Stevie Ray, son. I don't know. That dude fires me up. You know, I enjoy being in the presence of anyone who is really, really passionate about anything. I don't care. We talked about making bread today. If you're a passionate bread maker, I want to hang out with you. Right? That is the number one thing. Uh, maybe the number one attribute that draws me to people is people who are passionate about something. I don't know about y'all. Blake's just doing his own thing. so I had to turn I, some stinking air on, um, man. Yeah. You're delivering salad. If I'm going to do it, I might as I guess, well do it now. I guess we'll just move on with this conversation. Boy, that ticked him off. Um, well, if he gets to the meat of things, maybe people start paying attention. Good gosh, that ticked him off. All right. Well, I want to let you guys know uh, the fall basic course dates are out and people ask me if I've already applied for the basic course, should I apply again? The, the answer is yes, because it's new dates. So if you've already applied for the basic course, by the way, if, if I, if you have not been selected to come out on the basic course, it's not because I don't want you to come out on the basic course. It's because I, I can't, get everybody in, right? So don't think that if you didn't get selected, it's because I didn't think you were good enough to come out and train. No, you're you're good enough. It's just I ran out of spots, which is why we decided to do some fall missions. Um so if you've already applied and you didn't get in one of the spring and summer courses this year, apply again, just resend the same application with the new dates. That you want to join us out on the basic course for this for the fall missions, all right? So I just wanted to clear that up because Kelly asked Kelly asked me today or uh, at the proving grounds. She said I applied like a year ago. Should I apply again? And I'm like, if you applied a year ago, yeah, you should apply again because your application's buried somewhere in an inbox, and uh, I no longer have eyes on it. So that's ready. It's on the website. There's a link to the registration page in the show notes of this episode. I wanted to throw that out there. Um, We did the Proving Grounds last weekend, so I just want to recap some lessons learned from that and then move on to the topic of the show. But before we recap the Proving Grounds, uh, we want to present Coach Krista with an award for exemplary service as an instructor. Now, here's the thing. At 307 Project, we're not like the U.S. military. The old military. Let me tell you, one thing I could not stand about the military is the awards system. They would give out awards to people that did their job. Like, they just simply did their job. And you'd get an award for it. You'd come back off of deployment and you'd have some comms guy or tech or something and and he he'd be up in front at the award ceremony and be like we're giving this guy an award for keeping up with the radios during deployment. And I'm like, what the crap? That was his job to keep up with the radios. Why does he get a freaking award? This is stupid. All right. Coach Krista has went above and beyond her her duty as an instructor. In our opinion, would you agree with that, Chili? Lord, yeah. She really, really shows. She's actually, she actually just comes on the podcast because she loves you guys that listen to the podcast. She doesn't even have to be here, uh, technically. So she goes above and beyond. We want to present you with a gift, Coach Krista. It'll be right down there on the side of your chair. Uh, reach right there <laughs> around the side of your couch there. Over here. Yeah, you'll find a little black box over there. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Coach Krista's gift here. Um, what do you have to say, Chelly? <laughs> oh, uh, hold it up for the people to see, Coach Krista. There you go. Wow. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, thank you.
2: That's awesome. Um. Now I don't have to borrow yours.
0: Yep. <laughs> So,
2: that's awesome. Thank you.
0: That right there, Coach Krista, is a is a Glock 17. Okay. All right. Now, Blake might argue with me, but that pistol, the Glock 17 is the pistol that all other pistols are judged against. It's the standard of handguns in my opinion, the Glock 17. What do you think, Blake? Yeah, I think if you were gonna have, if you were just gonna have one handgun. I think the Glock 17 is probably it. If you're gonna have multiple, then you can kind of pick and choose of which way you want to go, longer, shorter, whatever. But if you're gonna have one, do it all. I think the Glock 17 is mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we 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 want to thank you for your exemplary mm-hmm. service, Krista. What do you have to say for yourself? This is how you like to do this, isn't it?
2: Oh uh, yeah, I love it. I love the spotlight being on me. No, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh very kind of you. So. Yeah. Well, tell is the- that cuz I called you out at the basic or the uh proving grounds?
0: Um, I don't remember which time you called me out. You <laughs> called me out so many times. Um, do do you have any advice for the people?
2: Advice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it'll come out during the show. Okay. Probably.
0: Roger that. <laughs> chili you
1: got anything to say no i'm proud
0: oh, like do you have anything to say
1: <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> you guys are a bunch of freaking turds this morning can man. i ask you something
1: yeah ask me something let me ask you something yeah please do when you say hey hey buddy hey bubba you got anything to say the answer's freaking no, dude. We'll say it, we'll say it if we got something to say. So quit asking. Well, y'all, did y'all
0: know the purpose of a podcast is to talk, right? Yeah. Well, and so you can't just sit there like a lump, chili. <laughs> Was that PT too hard for you this morning?
1: Or did it wear you out? I'll answer. I'll answer a question that's valid. This is ridiculous. I know what a podcast is. I know what it's for. <laughs> Quit asking that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well.
1: <sighs> go ahead. You're supposed to talk. All right. It's a podcast, man. All right. Let's talk. Um,
0: let's talk about. Let's go around the horn. Talk about the proving ground. Number one. Number one lesson learned at the proving ground for you guys, whether it's. Um, Pertains to the team, or pertains to yourself as a as a teacher or an instructor. For those of you guys that don't know what the Proving Ground is, it's a it's a course of training, course of instruction that we run. Try to run twice a year. The next course will be in January of uh, twenty twenty three, I guess. Blake will get that posted up pretty soon on the website with the dates. We try to run it twice a year. In my opinion, uh, it's. Oh, it's just awesome, awesome training, man. You can't really compare it to the basic course because it's totally different than the basic course. But the two, I think the two, um, they're so different, they they complement each other because you're not just learning the exact same skill at both. But anyways, the Proving Ground, it's like two and a half days long where we take, I think we, what do we cap out at 25 people? Mm-hmm. So we have about 25 people out and uh we do a bunch of really cool stuff we don't tell you guys everything about it and we do that on purpose but i absolutely love that training uh what'd you take away from the proving grounds i go last man Blake, go <laughs> nope i need to i need to think Shelly, <clears throat> what'd you take away from the proving grounds
1: <laughs> i know what you should have took away is don't ever freaking doubt me
0: <laughs> y'all y'all know this dang podcast is gonna tank if y'all don't start talking right <laughs> I sent y'all a dang gonna make, outline for the podcast <laughs> you, last night. You had all night to think about what you wanted to t- yeah, take away. That's from all the I gun. got to
1: do is lay around and think. He's gonna make me not want to talk because I just talked and then he goes on this rant. All right,
0: out. what'd you get, Chili? <laughs> oh, not to doubt you.
1: Yeah that that's your lesson. I don't know what <laughs> what you were gonna say, but that ought to be your lesson. I <laughs> just say that. Number two, my lesson was well, not really a lesson. It just reinforced a lesson, I think, is that that uh, a team is always stronger than an individual. And that, that was a hard lesson for me to learn in my life. And like I said, I've learned it before. And every time, but particularly this one, this Proven Ground, it just really reinforced that in my mind. Because that's what you see all the, this group of individuals... Come together and do way more as a team than than they would have, and I don't know it just that really stuck out to me this time and was really cool and I thought this group in particular did a really showed that really exemplified that,
0: man they did yeah they did,
1: so that was cool for me,
0: yeah, that's huge, man. that
1: probably stuck out the most, but
0: yeah, it's interesting we get to learn we get to learn and grow usually. Just as much as instructors, as the students get to learn and grow, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a little different. Mm-hmm. But um, man, yes, this troop, four troop, really did pull together as a team. Uh, I think the minor tweaks to the the curriculum mm-hmm. really really helped, and then you paired. This was the best. Curriculum that we have taught it. We've really get we're really getting it dialed in now. And then you paired that with just a the blessing of an amazing group of humans mm-hmm.
1: and the the proctors. I think yeah that stuck out to me. Having them there was nice. I mean, they're all awesome.
0: Yeah, and if you guys wonder what Chili's talking about at the proving grounds, we have class proctors. The proctors are former Proving Grounds graduates. So there are are a few people that have graduated the Proving Grounds, the basic course, and then an advanced mission, the Alpine mission. So they've ran through the entire training pipeline. And now they get to come back to 307 Project training as instructors. But they have a different relationship with the students there because they've also been students there. So they can, they can help them and set them up for success in a very unique way because they know what it feels like to be there in the shoes of the students. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you are exactly right. Chris, Reckliff, Pete, Hal, and uh, John were just – Yeah. You, they're irreplaceable. <laughs> they're irreplaceable yeah. at that event. They really care. I mean, those guys, they – they really care about yeah. the students and making sure they get as much as we do. I mean, they are, they are oh, fully yeah. invested.
1: Yeah, you can't care more than they do. So, yeah. I mean, it's awesome.
0: They, they are the, those four men are the beginning of what our vision has been coming alive. I tell people at these training events, my objective is to work myself out of a job. So the ultimate gift to me is to be able to develop someone into that sh- instructor role. Like that is, I even think I even told you that there, Krista. I said, one of my favorite things is seeing anybody grow into that teaching role, grow into that instructor role. That's one of my favorite things to watch happen. But it's a, that's a long process to get there. And those guys have made it there and they are full on mm-hmm. valuable instructors. I don't know. I agree, Chili. How about you instructor Krista?
2: Well, when I came back, I found myself saying the same thing over and over again, again, to people who asked me, how did it go? And one of the things I found myself saying is it is just amazing. What can happen in 48 hours? Cause really it's Friday to Sunday, but it's really essentially 48 hours. So just the the amount of transformation that can occur uh on an individual level but then also the organism the organism becoming a unit and a healthy unit in 48 hours that's crazy to Mm -hmm. see what happens in that amount of time and each time i've done this i I show up at the beginning and i think how is this going to happen there's, you know, you, you, you get introduced to the students and you see, see that it's just chaos and they're all just kind of in their own heads and they're doing their own thing, they're individuals, they have no idea and no concept of what needs to happen. And and there is a little bit of doubting, like shame on me in the beginning, every time, doubting like, are, are we gonna actually get, are they gonna get anything out of this? Is this gonna actually happen? Are they gonna get it together? And every time it does and it's just amazing to see that transformation it's just i'm always in awe when when it happens Mm -hmm. um so i think that's just remarkable to me and it's a good reminder each time and then on an individual level i think something that i found myself uh just being aware of was my own state because it's easy as an instructor you can get so focused on the students that you lose um, your own self-awareness and what is going on with you and what you need to be doing and what you need to be changing. And and then also your teammates, your your the cadre, instructor cadre. And so I found myself trying to be more intentional about that. So, you know, even before in the middle of the day on Saturday, us getting together and saying, hey, remember we're in the middle of the day we just had a long first half of the day. We just ate lunch. We're going to, we're going to naturally feel kind of like things should be winding down. Our bodies are going to be, um, uh, unwinding right now. So we need to pay attention. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so just little things about that, like where I found myself wanting to be more self-aware and, um, and focused and present Mm -hmm. because it's easy to focus on the students and not yourself. And, and then just a good reminder that I think when we th- did a debriefing at the end that, as instructors, we can always be better. We can always tighten things up. We can always become more efficient. Um, you mentioned the curriculum changes and, and then kind of cleaning up the, the job of the proctors and kind of making that a little tighter. And so it's just fun to see all those little changes too, that, that those actually do make a difference. And there's always something, not just the students can be learning and doing and um, doing better, but also as instructors, we can too.
0: Yeah. So. yeah, And that's a great point. Looking you, you guys, when you come out as students, you, you don't get to see behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, we are actively trying to implement the exact same things that we are in the midst of teaching you, right? So we're active. We have to actively do that ourselves. We have to practice what we preach. And I think I made that comment at the very end. I said, it's amazing how when we implement the exact same things within our team that we're teaching this team, they work. That's how you know they work. And that's why I always say, we don't teach from theory. All right. We're not going to teach you anything that we don't actively implement. And those are the things that we see impact us and make us more effective in pouring into you. And then back to Krista's first point, that's what the majority of this podcast is going to be about. I want to go through and analyze, really, what do we see? what, What works? What do we do to take these 24, 25 strangers and create a living single organism? What are what are the things that happen? Because like Kristen said, it happens. And I have a few things in mind, but I want to hear what you guys see or what you guys do to help, I guess, uh, help promote that unity of that group. Blake, have you thought of anything yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, on a group or team level it may not be this way for you chad because training people you saw the training work but i think for every course i'm always kind of amazed that that it just actually works you know because there's so much stuff out there that's like a gimmick or self-help but to see like nick he was over there on like when he checked in he wouldn't talk to anybody he was so anxious he couldn't even get words out and the next day in the morning he's like man i love you guys talking to the team and to see that it actually works like, you know, kind of like Chili said, it's just, it's not maybe new a new lesson learned, but it's just, I, I think that after each course, I'm like, man, I can't believe these people got this much out of the course. Um, it Regardless of time, just that they got that much out of it. And you can truly think of seeing that person on the first day and seeing them on the last day, and they truly are like a different person. And so that that's one thing I think I get on it on every course that we run, and then individually, I felt like on this one, I was able to stay locked in better, and I think I took, so I took pictures this time, and I think for me, if I can, if I get downtime, it's hard for me to stay locked on during that downtime. I like, I want (laughs) to cut up, I want to do this or that, but if if I have something I can do during that, it's like I never get the downtime to just pull away and relax so until until the evening so I think I mean it 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 seems like it wouldn't work you would think like all right if you do less you can stay locked on longer but it's not that way for me if I get downtime I'm immediately gonna start to shut down and it's even like uh crew and chat at the mid-state mile if that hadn't been so fast I I probably would have shut down somewhere in there because of the time lapse so for this one for me taking the pictures in every spare moment i had i'm like well let me grab some pictures and i think that helped me stay dedicated to the students more Mm
1: -hmm. photographer videographer yeah
0: video yet blake's coming into that uh i think we're gonna video do our first video project tomorrow yeah we're gonna give we're gonna give that a go um all right so for for me, this Proving Grounds has, has helped me, um, I guess, identify my mission for me personally. And it's really funny because I've never had a personal mission statement. And I even told this troop that at the end, I mean, I'm totally honest with, with the students. I don't try to put on a front, like, like I'm perfect and I have it all figured out. And we're talking about the creed and, and I'm straight up. I mean, I don't have a personal mission statement. And, and I've really been thinking about that because that's something that we taught here at this last proving grounds was how to develop a personal mission statement. And I know, man, that, that, that's so over propagated like it can it even sounded corny to me in the beginning until you guys taught it and i was like all right this this is this could actually be valuable for for me personally for all of us like and i'm glad i had that feeling because i should have that feeling if that's something that Blake and James are going to teach it should be something that I see as valuable to me personally or it's not worth teaching to the students. And as you guys were teaching that I was thinking, you know, Krista gets on to me all the time for getting sidetracked on these tangents. And and I think a lot of a lot of the reason I get sidetracked on these freaking squirrels that are, you know, in my peripheral is because I have not Really honed in on my own personal mission, right? And I think Three to Seven Project can have a mission statement, but we also should all have our own personal mission uh, within, you know, within this this team right here mm-hmm. uh, that allows us each to serve the overall mission in our own unique ways. Does that make sense? I, I think that's important. Well, I've never had one. I ended up getting sidetracked when they taught that. And I started thinking in my mind, you know, answering those questions, you guys asked, like what, what Blake, what keeps you up at night? In other words, what are you really passionate about Chad? Like, and, and what are your gifts? Like, what are you gifted at doing? And putting that into words, and what was cool is when you asked those questions, Blake, I knew the answers to all of those. And it it brought me to the conclusion, like you like you guys already mentioned, like what I'm most passionate about, what really just gets me going at these at all the training that we run is when I see the unity that is created eventually. There is nothing on earth more powerful than a unified group of humans that are moving forward all toward a goal or a mission or objective. There's nothing more powerful than that. And it struck me, man, when we were doing Team PT and the the team had finally meshed and they were moving down that gravel road and i could hear the sound of their feet scraping on the gravel and it dude i had a moment i had a i had a, a weird moment it was the sound it was the sound of that single organism moving across that surface and their feet scraping that gravel and they were just flowing, man. And it was the sound that struck me because there are, I've heard that sound hundreds of thousands of times in the SEAL teams. When we were moving as a, as a unit, as a single organism, patrolling in on, on a target or, or extracting off a target, whatever, and we were moving in that exact same formation, across that exact same surface, some gravel, dirt path. And it was that exact same sound. And that sound doesn't happen. Listen for it next time. That sound doesn't happen until they come together and they move as one unit. That's the only time you'll hear it. It's a specific cadence and and tone to it. And I was like, that's what I'm passionate about. And so that was the biggest moment I had in uh, in the proving ground of of realizing why am I doing this training? I know I know I en- I enjoy this because I keep coming back to it, and it's what I what we have all dedicated our lives to. So I know I'm getting something out of it, but what is it that I'm getting out of it? And it's seeing unity created amongst the team that's that's the single element and which is going to lead us into the next part of our conversation because we as a as a culture have forgotten in my opinion whether it's in the church whether it's in regular life we have forgotten how to Unify and move together as a single organism towards an objective. We've forgotten how to do that, and it, it has made us weak. I think it is probably one of the single biggest problems that we have as a people, as a, as a nation. It's made us extremely weak. And I've made a comment a few times in the last few days about become dangerous, like stay dangerous. And I don't mean by like, I don't, by that statement, I don't mean like learn how to kill people. When I say stay dangerous, I mean like stay sharp, like be able to, to, to maintain your freedom and your independence and, and, and. Unity is probably the single thing that will make you the most dangerous force on earth. It goes back to Chili's lesson earlier. As an individual, you I promise you, you can't accomplish anything. You will never accomplish anything as long as you're continuing to try to go at life alone. All right? And that's why I think I'm so passionate about that unifying of these people. And you know what's interesting? I thought about it the other day. It's interesting that all these people can show up, all the students can show up, and they all come from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different political views. Um, They all believe different things, but they're still able to unify. And so I think we need to stop thinking that we all have to agree on everything in order to unify. We don't, you can have your own individual beliefs, your own individual belief system, and you can still come alongside your, your team in order to move forward towards
1: an objective. You have to share something though. I, I don't think you have to share the con the, you have to share a desire to do the same thing. You have to share the, the desire goal. to yeah.
0: accomplish whatever it is you set out to accomplish. Yeah,
1: that's a requirement.
0: That is, that's right. Yeah, look at it in the context of the church, though. Look at it in the context of the church. I think the church overall has this same mission set out in front of them, right to to i think you could you could probably you know expound on it but essentially it would be to be a light in the world and share the gospel of Christ right so we have this we can all we all agree in the church that that's that objective that's set out in front of us but what divides us why can't why can't the church unify it's because we have all these little different Belief systems, right? Of how we should do things, or how we how we interpret certain things, or how we should dress, or how we should act, or all this crap, right? Even amongst all that, the church could still unify in order to accomplish that single objective. That's there, that's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, there. I think um, a common answer to what unifies people, what unifies people the quickest, is usually one of two things or both things. One is a common vision, and the other is a common enemy. And so, having a common vision or a common enemy usually is what unites people the fastest. And you can see that in culture right now, and in the church, all kinds of things. And um, and uh, for instance, uh, there's a book that came out not too long ago, not, not too long ago, called um, "The Coddling of the American Mind." And in that book, in a little portion, um, he talks about how there's a difference between common humanity, like identity politics, common humanity, and then common enemy. And so like an example of common humanity would be Martin Luther King Jr., like where you're focusing on the attributes and the things that like are common to humanity and you're uniting around that, like a common humanity. And then probably more common nowadays is the idea of that common enemy and rallying around the common enemy um, you know, Hitler did it, you know, with the Jews and, and, uh, there are examples throughout history where people unite and become strong forces around a common enemy. And so, um, and I think even biblically, both of those things exist, you know, you, you have a common vision, like you were saying, there is this common vision. There's this common humanity. We're all made in the image of God. You know, there is this unity there. Um, and we do have a common enemy, but I think what we lose sight of is who is that enemy, um, and we make each other our enemies yeah. and we make all those little divisions and we get focused on things and that's not our enemy. Um, and I, I what comes to mind, um, is a story from the book of Joshua where right before they took Jericho, um, is visited by, um, the commander of the Lord's army. I don't know if you remember that story, but he didn't know who this person was approaching and, and, uh, basically Joshua says, whose side are you on? are you on our side or their side? And the commander of the Lord's army basically says to him, he answers, no, I am the commander of the Lord's army. So he doesn't say I'm on your side. I'm on their side. He says, no. And basically reorients him to that. The Lord is focused on his kingdom and he's not on anybody's side. You know, like this is where your vision needs to be. Mm. And remember, basically it's, kind of a reminder to me remember who your enemy is you know and what your purpose is and what your mission really is and i think we lose sight of that and um we can start because we want to take control of things and we want to have we talked about how we're tribal and we are drawn to that we want to get behind something and unite um but we really have to be careful that we remember you know what that vision is that we're supposed to be rallying around and who our actual real enemy is because we can lose sight of that too.
0: Mm. Yep. So a clearly defined vision and a clearly defined opponent. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of those things in the world and and like the church, for instance, the common goal. To me, what I see lacking is nobody is taking responsibility for the end goal. So on our missions, we call it the LPO and Mm -hmm. he's essentially responsible for everything. But I've seen this even recently in my own faults in my family where I wasn't doing that, and I see it in the world where say you have this end goal of the church to spread the gospel to all the ends of the world to, so that everybody has, you know, heard. And but who is owning that? Like if if it may be a pastor of a church and maybe he's not owning like who is taking responsibility for that and actually overseeing the whole thing? They have a common goal. They have a common enemy. But who is actually owning and orchestrating all of that uh, on on a human level, you know? But I, I see that. I mean, I think it's key. I, we see it on all the courses we run that when they, they have the common goal, we give them that. And they won't accomplish it until they get the right leadership structure in place. And I think that's a big, big downfall. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, tangibly, how do we unify? And, uh, uh, like Blake said, a family, a team, uh, a, a, a massive bot, however big it is, the foundational element, you have to start with a clearly established chain of command. I think that's the very first thing that you have to start with in order to create unity because everything else that follows has to pass through that chain of command properly. So you have to find the right people that have the right mind to be in the right place within that chain of command. And then you have to have the overall the overall body, everyone that's, that has unified to move in this certain direction, they all have to understand how to utilize that chain of command and they have to abide by those rules. So in the military... If you skipped the chain of command, if I had if I had an issue and I didn't take it to my squad leader first and I went straight to my platoon chief, I would get like like severely punished for that. yeah that's it, how it was in law enforcement. yeah too. You, you have to establish that and then everyone has to agree to abide by that. People. That blows their freaking mind, dude. But what do you think about in a smaller team such as like a family or even our team of 4? I mean, there's it's essentially a horizontal chain of command like any of us could go to any one person. So it's like there has to be a certain number of people before that really becomes effective, right? In a team or what do you think? I mean, like, I'm not telling Josie to go to Blakely before they come to me with something. You know, like, they can come to me anytime. Any of us can go. I mean, we do. Any of us go to you at any time or me or whatever. So, at, like, there is a point where it becomes effective and a point where it's not. Would mm-hmm. you? I mean, do you agree or not? Yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I agree. Like, what's what our chain worth- of command right here in 307? I, I still think that there has to be someone that has there has to be someone in that that lpo or that chief position that has that maintains a battlefield picture yeah i think that's really important um you know i would say blake you probably maintain that battlefield picture um and most of the so most of the information flows up to you um now at Prior to that, it depends on the project. Mm -hmm. So like if it's a, if it's a apparel thing, it's going to flow through Chile, should flow through Chile up to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's, uh, I mean, so so it's, it may be like task oriented to where it not necessarily like you're the squad leader and you're responsible for these things. It's like, you're the shirt guy and you're responsible for shirts so if you need shirt stuff you go to Chile you don't go to me and yeah. then, so it's it's not like a, it's not structured as in kind of hierarchy how you would think of military like Lpo squad leader whatever but it's it's more task oriented than it is hierarchy that's oriented. right yeah like you're not gonna be working on a on a uh, an apparel design and if you are you're screwing the team over yeah you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. To me, your point's well taken.
0: Like, well, What do you think about it, Chili? Th-
1: there's a point. Uh, that's almost describing two different things, <sighs> what you're describing there. I mean, the, one's chain of command, and one is just responsibility. Be- being or... logical with a task. I mean, I, I don't know. you kind of splitting hairs there, in my opinion. But I, I think that point by Blake is well taken, that at, at a certain point, it's inefficient. A family <laughs> of three or four... You know, you make the youngest go to the older sister before going to the mom, then going to the dad. It's like, what the crap's that for? I mean, you know, but if it's 12 people, then, well, not even, I don't think it ever makes sense in a family to have to go to your brother first. I mean, I don't know. I I think there's just different situations. Like when, Mm -hmm. when you're getting something done, then yeah, chain of command is, would be useful even with us just having four. Mm-hmm. but something like that, that's just delineating different tasks. I mean, I think you're kind of describing two different things.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's like going to the right person for the right thing Yeah. Versus, versus the chain of command essentially in a big group just cuts down on the chatter. I yeah. think that's the biggest advantage of it is that it cuts down on all the voices, all the chatter, and you're able to make clear decisions and communicate clearly, and so it's just more efficient to take it to the person who needs it in a smaller team. Yeah. Also, you just, it just looks a little
1: like if Chad wanted something with a shirt, he wouldn't go to you. Not because that's out of order of the chain of command is because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You go, huh? You Go ask chili. I mean, yeah, you know, not, not, not because it's just more of a logical reason.
0: Well, I don't want to get too far in the weeds. I just thought it was worth noting that if, Someone is operating a small team or they have a family and they hear us and say, I think well, they a... said that we should have a chain of command. I'm going to have my 10-year-old go to my 12-year-old before they come to mom yeah. or me. And so I just wanted to point out that I would probably do that, by the way, if I had kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would legit probably no, do I that. No, I think
1: that's a great point, Blake, because you can take that too far. And I wouldn't do that with <laughs> with two, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. You know, yeah. that seems... Kind of crazy, but um, yeah, I think there is obviously a place for that, obviously, so.
0: Yeah, the, the whole point of it, and I think to Blake's point where the chain of command becomes really, really important is when there's enough people that whoever li- leading the charge, whoever that person leading the charge or maintaining the battlefield picture is, they can no longer manage the voices of everyone that's supporting that mission. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think that's where it becomes important. So I think yes, as the team grows, the chain of command becomes more and more important um, for us because we're a small team. I think that chain of command shifts depending on what the task is. Right, mm-hmm. I think that shifts. So
1: I think you can understand it better in a bigger business where there's a lot of specialized roles, and then there's uh, somebody in charge of of the whole team doing that specialized task and then there's a bunch of that and then that's kind of like your squad leaders and then they report to somebody you know yeah that that way it really cuts down because you may have a hundred people but you only hear from four
0: yeah if you had two or three people working for you with t-shirts they're not going to be talking to me at all nope so what do you think is the the maximum number of people that one leader can manage or the maximum number of voices that you can manage at one time or just like people? In your squad. Yeah.
1: I say four. Yeah, it's about a handful. I three say, to, I say three four. Three to five, something like that.
0: Yep. What were you going to say, yeah. Chris? No,
2: I was just going to say I think it's the chain of command is an efficiency in- issue, not a unity issue. So I don't think chain of command creates unity, but once you have unity in order for it to operate and maintain that, you have to have efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think you have to contextualize that. That'll look different in different mm-hmm. settings, different settings, different sizes. So.
0: All right. Point two that I wanted to bring up on, uh, on unity, unifying a group in, and now that you just made that comment, I think there may be some delineation here, uh, is communication. I'm just thinking of how do, how do we create these people? First of all, we teach them to establish and utilize a chain of command. Second of all, we teach them how to communicate. I think that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we see when we train is people have forgotten how to get a simple piece of information from say the front of the the front of the unit or the back of the unit they they can't disseminate it throughout the entire group it it just it just stops at some point it just stops and then you've got half or more of this organism that's not working with the same amount of information and it causes collapse so the number one advice that I can give you is to pass the freaking word, man. Pass the word. If somebody in your team sends you a piece of information, pass that information up or down the chain of command, Mm -hmm. whichever direction it needs to go. All right? It is essential to maintain unity. Are you to pass the freaking word? I think what we're getting at here, and to Krista's point, made me think these things are tools to make a team effective, mm. and and effectiveness does create unity. I would say if a team mm-hmm. sees that man, we are getting this mission done, then they say, "I'm part of that. I, I want to contribute to this mm-hmm. team because they're doing something." And so these tools that create effectiveness in turn create unity, and to the point of communication, I think that. I don't know where why that is that way, but I can only guess that maybe it, people hear whatever's being passed up and they think, all right, I got that. Surely the guy in front of me got that too. And the guy in front of him says, I didn't get that, but the guy behind me got it, so if I need to hear it, he'll let me know. And then and I think it's a just a break in communication. and Instead of just shouting out whatever it is, even if the, you think the guy, and there's no way he didn't hear that. The dude behind me just said it. Shout it out anyways, you know, like, it, I think I I have found myself doing that before. So that's the only reason I can speak to that. Like I I can hear something and I think, well, I got that. The dude over here gets out of line. I'll let him know. And he's operating and making decisions with impartial information.
1: Krista, did you use the word effective? Yeah. E- that, efficient. I, efficiency. Okay. Yeah. Effective, efficient. I think that's what those things are. It's how to make a team more effective.
0: How to operate better.
1: Uni- unity comes down to, I think, what we said at the beginning of that shared vision and and shared mission. They,
0: but they can't they, they, unify well, without these things.
2: I think they work together. Like Blake I, said, one can't be builds effective. on the other. But I think unity
1: is a different word to me, but yeah, In I don't order know.
2: for people, I think what brings people together initially is need. You need each other. You depend on each other in order to survive. You're suffering together. I think what unifies them is suffering independence yeah (laughs) that's what gets them like from the out the gates when they are going through the first thing we throw at them they got to figure it out and they got to figure it out together because they're Mm -hmm. suffering and they need each other and i do think that's something just that lacks in a lot of our lives today is we we're so buffered from that from you know or we're and i think especially as americans we're so independent Mm -hmm. and so i think a huge key to unity is Suffering and dependence, and then once you have that, then that in order to figure out how to operate like that, you have to start at layering on those techniques of communication and like those principles, and then like said Blake said, then it just kind of it feeds on it, just creates a, a cycle because then that breeds more unity and strength within the team, and then you start to feel a sense of pride and accomplishment and we can do this and and then then they feel even more dependent on each other because they've shown that they can add value and so you know it's a little bit the chicken and the egg i guess but um but i do think that the initial thing the catalyst to unity is suffering and dependence probably
0: mm-hmm. you know when i see a team really come together every time is we're on the basic course and we're doing this mission and they're like okay yeah We know this is where we got to go. And they're not really treating that like a need. They're like, okay, but when somebody goes down and it's cold outside and it's dark and Chad's like, if you guys don't take care of this guy, he might get mild hypothermia here. And they're like, oh, crap. Might get severe hypothermia. (laughs) Yeah, might get severe depending on the weather. And they're like, oh, crap. There is a real need here now. And that's when the team really comes together. It's like they don't view the mission as a real need until there's, like, a potential injury involved. And they're like, oh, man, we can't, we can't let this guy. He's all we got. We can't let him go down here. It's,
1: it's when that goal is narrowed down and solidified in everyone's mind to take care of this guy. Yep. That's what it is. It Like, for all, everything turns off in that moment for them. For, for the next however long and literally they're not even they're not thinking about the end anymore they're thinking about help this guy yep and that's when they seem the most unified because it's complete zeroed in centered on one thing yep that's why and i think that's that's unity all this other you know it's being more effective you can only be effective if you are already a unified team you know well, yeah and, and those then,
0: though you got to have those tools because at the point
1: Oh, yeah. Somebody
0: goes down, then they oh, yeah. have to have a chain of command because everybody's just gonna be babbling and nobody's gonna know what to do. You gotta communicate effectively. So these things are important. Yeah,
1: it'd be horribly ineffective tr- to try what, to help somebody without that.
0: What causes unity versus what makes you effective are two different things, but they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What so what I'm hearing from you guys, from you, Blake and, and Chili is um a key piece of that unity is learning to become selfless is that would you would you put it that way learning yep. learning going through the process or learning to become selfless
2: others focused getting yes. outside your own head your own experience
0: yep mission focused that's exactly right and that was the number one that was the number one thing that i had to hammer home with our team uh, at the end of the land nav was getting them to recognize how selfish they were and how that simple switch in their mind it hadn't been flipped yet they they didn't you don't even realize how selfish you are. Oh yeah. You you don't even realize it until somebody points it out to you. And then even then you still don't really realize it. So it takes a lot of work. That team the team that I had on the on the land nav, they didn't unify until the very the very end. After like once they were getting to the very end of having to pay the man for not finishing the uh, the mission, they didn't unify. At all right then, and that's because I was pretty daggone harsh on them what they what they had done is they had a few team members that were really really struggling and they just left them in the back to suffer alone the whole time and they'd get to the top of a mountain hit the point they would all just stand around and wait for those team members that were suffering to catch up and then as soon as they would catch up they would start moving again so those people were just getting drugged through the mud the entire time because we had a group we had a team that were being selfish they were more concerned about their own needs than the needs of their their teammates in order to hit this objective
1: and that's hard too because if you you can also make a mistake by completely neglecting all of your individual needs let's call them while you're out there like y- you you can kill yourself doing that you know by just oh you're you know your soul sold out on not being selfish that you forget to eat and you don't drink and you don't do this. That. well that's actually going to be more detrimental than yeah. you know if you end up flaking out mm-hmm. so there's has to be a balance where you're taking care of yourself in a sense but I think the way that's remedied partly is if everybody is focusing on others, then you're taken care of by them. That's right. You know, so I think that's the confusion that some people have is like, well, if I, you know, if I'm always thinking about others, how how, how am I going to be taken care of? Well, hopefully someone else is doing that for you yep. and you're doing it for them. So that's kind of how. Yeah. I mean.
0: To be a hundred percent selfless, the whole team has to be a hundred percent selfless, or yeah. else. Yeah. I mean that
1: that's uh, the perfect
0: example of this is when um, we were on the field and they had to go change, and one guy was like, "Nah, I'm already changed. I'm good." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he and he just stays there on the field mm-hmm. without talking too much about it. That's the perfect example of mm-hmm. of being selfish. And uh, I think another thing that I thought of out there i'm just very literal and to the point and we always say we, you train like you fight and i always kind of got the gist of it but i just had the the thought at the proving ground and you, you know really it's like you train like you live to train like you fight would be in a battle scenario but really it's to train like you live and so people don't take the training seriously initially and if they were if they showed up for the mission and, and it's like if you don't get this done, this guy's gonna die. Like, like maybe there's somebody there waiting for you, and he's gonna die. If you treat the mission like that, then you're gonna operate much more efficiently and effectively, and you're gonna implement the tools right away. But I think that they just treat the training like, uh, yeah, we're just we're out here. We got to get this mission done. If we mess up, it's all, you know it's all right if we mess up or we move a little bit slower or or maybe you know we would drag our feet here or oh, my buddy's got this you're going to take much more ownership of it if you actually train like it would be in life like like you like you would live your life because that's not how I live my life so that's not how I want to train so that's what I was getting at earlier that when actually something is has to be done or there will be severe consequences for it that's when people take it seriously not when they show up for training i don't think they take the consequences of not being effective and efficient, seriously. You you know why you know why everybody's stuck in that freaking mindset? Cause everything is so watered down. Yeah. In this stupid culture that we live in. Everything is so freaking watered down, man. That's why that's why people are generally stuck in that mindset of there are no real consequences to anything that happens. Even your dang life is watered down, man. Mm-hmm. Not all of you, but a lot of you are living a watered-down freaking life where there, there are no consequences. I talked about that on a, on a podcast a few weeks ago, man. And, and especially events, especially training events that you go to, man. Like, you really want to train? Where can you go to get something that really legit ain't watered down? But, but nobody, did, nobody does that. There's too much risk, man. Nobody injects real risk into a training event. That's why our training is so powerful. It's because we don't have any freaking money. <laughs> we're not worried. I mean, we're going to train within the bound. We, we have safety protocols in place. But if you deviate from what we tell you to do, there's real risk, man. Yeah, there's not a hard guardrail that's going to keep you from running. Exactly. Out. There's like a ribbon there uh, along the edge of the road. And it's like, you better not cross that ribbon. It'll, it'll You can get <laughs> through it. It'll break. But, yeah.
1: Well, you there, know. there needs to be. You can't simulate that. I mean, that that's why you go out there and, and you expect people to ha- handle situations a certain way when there actually is no risk. They can't. It's a real hard shift to make yourself believe that there is when there's not. Mm-hmm. So you need it to actually be hard and yeah. actually have a, a level of it. And then they go, oh, they I, don't, weren't kidding. I, I ain't got to pretend now. Yeah. It, it is this way. Yeah. <laughs> so if you had to pretend, yeah, I, I get why it'd be hard to pretend like something was mm-hmm. one way when it's not. But if you create training that doesn't have to do that, well, then it's a whole different game.
2: Well and then the people have to own it and it's their responsibility. Yeah. They can't just blame whoever's in charge or, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen, it's your fault. It's it's their choices. They yeah. they their choices, they have agency and they have responsibility for their actions. And, you know, speaking of watered down, I think that's a way in which a lot of things can be watered down nowadays is people don't have to own things as much and aren't held accountable or responsible for the choices they make because there's always, you know, an escape goat or somebody mm-hmm. to blame or put it on. So,
0: yeah. 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 Yep. That's what I love about our training, man, is it's not watered down. There is personal responsibility involved in keeping yourself safe. We give you all the tools and all the information that you need and we're there, but we're
1: not there to hold your hand. We don't meet in a hotel lobby. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Um I want to dig into something real quick and, and I just want you guys' opinion on it uh, because one of the aspects of getting this body of people to operate as a single organism, one of the aspects is punishing or making the people that are that are within that team, that they just haven't got it yet, making them really uncomfortable, almost punishing them. Right? It's an essential. It's an essential aspect. Giving them consequences. Yes. Like it, but it. It sounds weird, but but that is what I'm always looking for. I'm like, okay, who who just hasn't got this yet, and I'm watching for them. And I make their lives really, really hard for a a short period of time. And then when they are able to recover from that, they're like, okay, well, it actually, now this is actually better. Like I feel better. This is, this is better than what I was just doing a minute ago.
1: Right. To me, it's important. You know, I love pays to be a winner, but I think an important flip side to that is it sucks to be a loser.
0: Yes, and, next, next
1: shirt. <laughs> I mean, not for real, though. Like, it don't just pay. If it pays to be a winner, it has to suck to be a loser. I, it yeah. just, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So, I think, I've, I love that. Uh, it, it really, it almost delegitimizes pays to be a winner if it doesn't suck to be a loser. Because yeah. you go, ah, who cares? Yeah, Yeah. You have to have both. So that's why I like it.
0: Yeah, there's no middle ground. It's not like you get to be neutral if you didn't win, but if you won, yeah. you get this positive yeah. no. thing.
1: No, if you ain't first, you last.
0: Yep, sucks to suck. So maybe that, maybe that I didn't even think about that, Chelly. Maybe that is a is a big a big piece of of our training. Is everything that we do, it pays to be a winner, and that just drives. It, it just really drives home. That like, all right, man, we really got to We really want to get this done because it's going to suck if we don't get it done, right? Yeah. And it almost creates this, um, this fire in people, man, this sense of urgency, a need. Yeah.
2: And when you combine that with getting outside yourself and becoming part of a team or a, a platoon, I think there is an extra fire because you don't want to let your team down. And you don't, you, you might be willing to pay the man, but you don't want your teammates to pay the man
3: on your account. Yeah.
2: And on your account. And so I know like, even when we're doing PT together, like one of the biggest things for me is I don't want to hold you guys back. Like that's so on my brain. And so so to some people that matters a lot. It's not even them having to pay the man, but being the contributing to their teammates having to do it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's combining those two things can be powerful.
0: I also like to shame the people that don't quite get it. <laughs> I, I, I I'm always teetering on the, I'm always teetering on the edge of how far I push that, which is another thing that I think fits within this conversation. If you are forming a team, you have to balance that suffering and pain with also encouragement you have to balance that and i'm always conscious of that as a a leader as an instructor i don't know if you guys notice but when it starts to really suck i'll inject some encouragement and, and some some you know words in there that that let them know that you're you are making progress you are making progress you know and so you have to balance that but um I'm always teetering on the edge, and if you guys, if you guys remember, uh, that morning one of the, one of the mornings, um, I made uh, the LPO of Bravo platoon stand out in in front of the platoon while the rest of the platoon was getting oh, yeah. beat, and stand there and say, "I decided to sleep in. I decided to sleep in." <laughs> yeah, like shaming them. It. It just, man, it just drives that point home so hard that like, I okay, this is serious and I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb if I don't contribute the way at the level I should contribute. Well, there's no, it's like building your muscles, you know, the tearing down is the shaming, but if there's no building up, there's no growth. If you just constantly tore your muscles down, then you would just be nothing, so without the building up part of it to where you pull back and say, hey, that's kind of part of the process. Like, I had to beat you down to get you to a point that I could build you back up. And when they see that, then they don't hold this, um, you know, grudge or whatever you want to say against you. They don't They don't hold, like, resentment. Uh-huh. Yeah, essentially resenting. Yeah, you just say, and you know, Chad, he's just a dang... He is just sucks man i don't even want to be around this guy but then he gives you a little bit and it and it really makes the words that much more powerful it's like dude he's been beating us down for the past however long and now he just gave us something good like one line they can live on they can live on for days on that mm-hmm.
2: i think with the shaming one angle to that one perspective is you could think about it as yelling at people and being cruel to them but i think that's <laughs> Which never, never, (laughs) never happens with you, Chad, right? But um, I think of it as exposing,
3: Mm.
2: not just shaming, but exposing. Like it's, it's, you're not allowed to hide. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people in their lives. They can hide, they can hide their deficiencies. They can hide their choices. They can not experience consequences. They can hide. And so I think one of the things that happens during these events that we put on is, you can't hide anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you try to hide, we're going to expose it. And so call it shaming, but I think that is a different way to look at it. It's it's exposing.
0: Well, that yeah, that's yep. what it is. They're shaming themselves because their whatever has happened mm-hmm. has just been exposed and they're like, "Oh, I'm ashamed of that." It's mm-hmm. not like you're you're the right. one inflicting the shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to Y'all, I, I learned all of this in my own training. That's how, that's that's why I do the things that I do. I remember one time um, we had a guy in our buds class named Youngers. And Youngers was always on light limited duty. Always. He was always hurt. And they just kept rolling him and rolling him. He eventually ended up in our class. And I'll never forget one day on San Clemente Island, I'm running over the berm to, uh, to go hit the surf, right? And that water's cold, son. This was November Pacific. Water's cold, and I'm beat down. I'm running over the berm. And Youngers is standing on top of the berm with a paddle, and he's waving, saying, ha, ha, ha. I'm dry and you're wet. Ha ha ha, I'm dry and you're wet. And he, he. my image of him was a skeleton. He looked like a skeleton up there. And he he was having to say that over and over again as we went back and forth across this berm to hit the surf. And I can't imagine how that dude felt, man. Well, did he ever train? Dude, the dude was just a freaking sack of bones, dude. He just stayed injured all the time. Well, that sounds like the way to get through it. Just, just keep... Yeah. Going. They just... Dro- I don't know why nobody dropped him. I mean, I don't know why they never dropped him from training. They just... He
1: was hung in there like a tick, man. It's like a cheat code. You just, <laughs> you just break your leg over and over again. Pretty much. You just skate on by. Yep.
0: That's what he did, man. Oh, man. So... That's where I get all these little these y'all wait till next class when we do rocking chairs. <laughs> yep. Um all right. So, I want to uh that's all really good stuff. Is there anything else that you guys think that that you see happen to to really that that could be valuable to really form a team?
2: Well, I think um not thinking specifically about Proving Grounds, but I, I think on this topic, I, I go back to sports a lot and I can pinpoint something where I knew when a team was falling apart and mm. as a competitor, I loved it when I saw the other team doing this. <laughs> so like you're on the soccer field or basketball court and you hear the other team start talking to each other and yelling at each other and bickering and making comments and getting mad and, and I loved it. I was like, Yeah. Gotcha. Because you know? smell blood. Yep, because you, you're you losing it. And so you're falling apart. And so I loved it as a competitor. And then you'd have sometimes the coaches. I think that's important, the leaders of whatever team it is. If they can't hold it together and they start yelling and bickering and they can't control their emotions, I loved it. Because that meant that the players might not have been affected yet, but the moment the coach starts doing that – It's going to impact the team, and then the team's going to start falling apart. So I was very aware of that um, with the teams I was competing against, but that also sent a message to me like, ooh, I need to be on the lookout. If I hear one of my teammates just make a comment or something, I need to nip that in the bud Mm. because we've got to, you know, talk positively and constructively. doesn't mean that you don't criticize your teammate or tell them, you know – that they did something wrong, um, and tell them to improve, but you have to be constructive about it. You have to do it in the right way. And if you do that, like you said, follow up that negative with a positive, like make sure you're not just negative, negative, negative all the time. So, and controlling those emotions. And and that's a huge thing that you learn hopefully playing sports is how to control those emotions Mm -hmm. because it can get intense and you can get intense with your teammates. So I think that's a huge lesson that I learned playing sports.
0: You think we could get intense like
1: in a basketball game? You think any? <laughs> oh was it was gosh. it a
2: basketball game or a boxing match?
1: <laughs> Man, that was probably my favorite quality in a in a teammate when I played basketball. I remember mm-hmm. probably my favorite teammate ever. His name was Christian. Dude, he makes a shot. He airballed three times in a row, which he was very good. He never did that, but you know he makes one, misses, has a turnover. Someone smacks him in the face. Whatever. I mean, he was always just freaking stone cold. Like, mm. you gave you nothing. I loved playing with him. He was, yeah, that was he was. It's exactly that. I mean, he never gave anybody anything, and um, and he was a passionate dude. Like, he, you know, off the court would have, whatever. But yeah, that was that's a huge thing, I think yeah
2: it's kind of like the story you've told before about the the two officers who one was running around like a chicken with his head cut off and the other was calm. yeah you know, and I think even just extending that to just believers right now in culture, like who do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who's panicking and running around like both of them knew what the situation was. The situation was the same, but how they were interacting it and experience with it and experiencing it was totally different like. Are you going to have composure in the midst of chaos? Are you going to stay calm? Are you going to let that ruffle your feathers? Or are you going to say no? I recognize what this is. It's serious. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to stay calm and composed and I'm not going to yell at my teammate and I'm gonna not going to cause division in the church and division here and division there. I'm going to remember who my enemy is and I'm going to you know, keep my eyes on this mission and we got to have this vision together and we got to stay united and you know, we need we need that calmness and we need that composure to be a strong team, mm-hmm. to be a strong unit. And I think that story you've told before is just a really powerful example of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And we saw that in, in this latest Proving Grounds mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. They were very calm and composed, mm-hmm. which I think contributed tremendously to their ability to operate as a unit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see... In, in the in the in the team that I had that I spent the most time with I didn't see any bickering or loss of uh, you know em, you know significant emotions coming through uh, any of that um, mm-hmm. even from the team members that were really really struggling usually those are, you know you see the emotion come through and they just break down and they man they just stayed right with it I mean Annie stayed with it. Yeah,
2: yeah, she has grit.
0: I mean, she has grit, dude. She, she, when she was in the midst of the mission, I know she was having all these emotions because she shared it in the after actions report, and I want to talk about that next. The importance of an AAR. Um, she shared it, but in the midst of the mission, no man, she was locked on doing everything she could do to keep moving forward. Just really, really impressive. And I want to finish up the conversation as we talk about having a a unified team. I want to talk about the importance of an after-actions report. You guys do the after-actions reports, uh, and you run them very well. And I think it's extremely important for business teams, sports teams, uh, family units, whatever, at the end, at the end of the day, at the end of a hard push, when you're moving in the direction of a goal, uh, to sit down and and have a, a, a aar, I think it's really really important, and I think it builds upon the unity because everybody after that after actions report should generally know where everybody's at, moving into the next portion of the mission. We did these all the time, every time we trained or operated in the teams we always did an aar always so what advice would you guys give in terms of running an aar um because i think a lot of people don't know how to do that they may have a team but they don't know how where do you start when you sit down at the end of the day with your team and and you hash out you know what happened so what advice would you give I think you got to leave everything at the door when you come in. I think it's important to it, you shouldn't note the things that were just mm. okay, maybe they went a little bit good or a little bit bad. I I think you should hit the things that went exceptionally well. They're they're just as worthy of noting cuz you would want to do that again or make sure you figured out how that why that happened. But it's also important, most important to talk about what went wrong, exceptionally wrong and i i mean i like to end an aar to me should be okay let's talk about this and then it should be self-reflection of how you contributed there or here or how the team did and so for me whenever i do them i like to end on the negative i say Mm -hmm. negative but what went bad it's important to note the positive things but when you get in there especially if you were part of the team then you're just going to want to talk about, I think this went good. I think we did this good. I think we did this good. And and then it will kind of end at that. that. Someone might throw in, well, let's kind of change this next time. It wasn't bad, but let's change this. But you just got to be real and say, this sucked. If, if there was something there, and it's, even if it's singling somebody out, if it's singling yourself out, you got to put it out there or you're just the, – the team is what's going to – It could fester. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna fester and it's gonna affect the team on the next mission. And I like to end on the negative because that's gonna promote the most self reflection. I think if you end on exceptional, the things that were done exceptionally well, then you're gonna leave there thinking, "I remember, I remember uh, we talked about this, but you know, I I remember that I did this really good." And and so you're not you're gonna be, I think, less apt to change anything if you le- if you leave the conversation mm. on the things that went good. I like that. And I was just thinking, if I ever had a child, I would name the child Fester. <laughs> uh, all right. How about you, Krista?
2: I agree with the self assessment. I think that's really important. And I think it serves two functions the assessment itself. But I think as instructors, it lets us know if we're doing, letting them self assess first instead of coming in and saying, hey, as instructors, this is what we observed today. Mm-hmm. I think it serves two purposes. One, the content of what they're saying, but then also it lets us know as instructors, how self-aware are they? Because there are some times when we'll, we'll see things and we're like, we have our little list and our notes and then they'll start doing a self-assessment and we're like, huh, they clearly don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're very aware of, you know, their issues. And so, so then that lets us know, um, you know, how, how, uh, conscious they are of the reality of the situation. And then that lets us know, okay, where do we need to step in? Where do we need to press and and stuff? And so I think the self-assessment is really important. Um, I think another thing that I like to do is I like to dig deeper. So if there's a problem, sometimes I'll say the problem isn't the problem. You know, like you might have something that happened, a behavior, you know, an, an event, something that happens that clearly is a problem or a negative but uh i like to press them about why Mm -hmm. because you can you may never have that same situation again so you may never have that exact problem again but the root of that problem may still exist and that's what you've got to (laughs) nuke you know you got to figure that out because it's just gonna appear somewhere else in some other form Mm -hmm. and so i i like to try to get them to dig a little bit deeper to what's the root of that problem Um, is it selfishness, is it pride, is it um, whatever it is, you know, something, there's usually some personal, emotional, deeper thing, issue at play that's creating that problem.
1: Mm -hmm. Sort of like cause and effect. Yeah. Like, you may uh, name the effect as the Mm -hmm. problem when it's actually, here's the cause over here. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I think... Yeah, and often it's fear. I mean, people operate out of fear a lot, and so helping them identify whatever that kind of fear is or or issue is, can be. And that that's something that they can apply in the rest of their lives, not just in that situation. They might not realize, wow, that's been driving me, not just here in a lot of other areas of my life too.
0: Yep. So. I think that's a really good point about the self-assessment. If you're going to do these on your own, people will understand the lessons more if you let them
3: mm-hmm.
0: call it out themselves. If they, If they... Even if you, if Krista, even if you know that you're selfish, and I say, Krista, I think you were really selfish today, <laughs> and you're like in your head, you're thinking that too, but you're going to say, you know what? No, I wasn't, Blake. No, I no, I wasn't. But if you get to say it first in people's mind,
1: they're gonna they're going to try to change that because I I don't know what it is. Well, your reaction is to find ways that you weren't. Yeah. Yeah, because defensive. You get,
0: yeah. Yep, you get defensive. So, if you're going to do these with your team, I think it's important to open it up and say, "I want to hear from you guys about what you think you did good and what you think you did bad." And if they don't hit the points you've got, then at that point maybe you bring bring them to light, but if they hit them all, there's not much you as the facilitator of the AAR that not much you have to say cuz they've already recognized it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a good point, Krista. And I think yeah, and I think if they identify the deficiencies, then it's maybe your job as the the instructor or the the leader to to help them dig deeper, like Krista mm-hmm. was saying, right? So they don't just hit them and then move on. Yep. So
1: what about you, Chili? Nah, they. How do you run it? AAR. They hit it all. I mean, that's the most important thing I've learned is you're a facilitator if you're running it and you don't just give all this commentary before they've even had a chance to speak. And you try to ask specific yet open-ended questions to where they can take it where they feel like what they need to talk about. But, yeah, I mean, I like it. I really like it when those AARs, people start answering, and then someone, they kind of start communicating. They don't. It's not just silence and then someone says a little bit about, what went well, what went bad. And then someone else pauses for a little while and then says that, no, they kind of start talking and like, Mm -hmm. they go, Hey, I remember that when you did this and this is, and then expound on it. And that's what I like. I'm like, Oh, this is an actual conversation happening now. Not just a bunch of individuals sharing, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, man, I don't, and how you get that a part of it is doing a good job. I think asking questions, but also it's just, they kind of have to be willing to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, but I really like that. I think that's when they go. The best is when that starts happening.
0: I think, and I think another piece of getting that is creating the space for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you, when we go into a AR, we don't say, okay, we've got 10 minutes Mm -hmm. to do this. Yeah. Right now. I think if you're, if you're on a time crunch that, that you may have to do that, but ultimately yeah, you don't want to go you don't want to let it drone on forever. Yeah. Like you don't want to beat a dead horse, which is something that you do have to maintain control of if you're running an AR for your team. Don't allow them to beat a dead horse, right? Yeah. Because then people start to check out. So as as the facilitator or the leader of it, make sure you clean that up. Chili, you did a really, really cool thing on your AAR, man. You remember that question you asked about reassessing? reassessing oh, yeah. the objective. I think I think that that was uh that's a that's a great piece that you added in that we've never added in before.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of just built off the first night when we asked about your reason for being there and and what you wanted to get out of it and then visiting that again cuz a lot happened mm-hmm. and then basically giving them a chance to think and respond about well, have I stick stuck to that or have I lapsed? And then, you know, you can think about that. And if you have then good. And if not, you can kind of correct that the next, next day. And uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I just like hearing about sometimes what people thought they were supposed to be there for or whatever changes. And it's really cool to hear that. And I think it's valuable for them to start talking about that and sharing it because it's like, Oh man, yeah, this is actually why I'm here. And then, I think voicing that helps you continue to execute on it, and yeah. not waste the time. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons, but yeah, Which is thought, a good
2: a good thing to do in life. Just yes. generally, like these things we're talking about, and these principles can be applied in other situations. You know, in your personal life and your job. Um, you know, if you're part of a, a an organization like a church, you know the things that you do, um, how you minister. Like those are things that you can constantly be talking about assessing having conversations about and and you like chili said you can start in to something with one idea or vision or mindset and then as you grow you realize oh wow i I, it's actually what i thought is kind of getting cleaned up in my mind and redirected and so it's good to like just keep reassessing and don't ever think you've arrived
0: Mm -hmm. i think the last thing to hit on that is whatever you are Whatever the action is that you're reporting on, you should break it down and, and say, all right, and this let' let's, let's break the day or the task or whatever we just did down into whatever sections make sense. because if you just say, uh, what do you guys think you did good or bad today?" then they're just gonna go to the, to the top one, which and maybe that's what you want, but, but if a lot has happened, I think it's important to break it down and say we're going to talk about the day up until this point. Mm-hmm. and go around and do that and then we're going to talk about from that point to this point. Yep. And then at the end if there's, you know, that's where that's where I like to just share the general things that I saw a common thread throughout the day of, but uh and then that also helps people relax and not feel rushed, like okay, right now we're just talking about this, so they're not having to think about the whole day. So it works good in the ones we do. Yeah, it works good because if you're if you're operating at maximum capacity like we do, at the proving grounds or the basic course or whatever, you you're literally fitting like what should be three days worth of growth into one day. I mean, we fit three days of training into one day. Yeah, we do it, and if it it just takes a lot of work and a lot of intensity, but we've dialed it in to where we can do that. So that is important and. Yeah, going back to Chili's thing, I think it is important at the end of an AAR. Sometimes, as a team, you might have set a goal or an objective, and as you're moving in that direction, um, maybe at some point that goal it could potentially change, or it may not make sense anymore, and maybe it makes more sense for you to shift one way or the other. So, constantly assessing what you're trying to accomplish, uh, what what is what is the mission. And uh, does it still make sense uh, moving in the direction that you are moving, and and allowing that to develop if it if it makes sense, right? And I really liked that you threw that in there. Um, after actions reports are are very, I mean, they're absolutely essential. For me, I don't run the AARs for three seven project, um, because that's not my gift or my strength. Uh, But I know in the teams, one of the things, one of the ways we used to like to do it is when we came off a mission, we said, okay, we're going to hit the three things we did good and the three things that need improvement. So, again, keeping it I because people could drone on, man. Yeah. So, keeping it, you know, concise what is one of the big things that I like to see in an AAR <clears throat> Well, that's a lot of stuff, man. That's a lot of stuff. I hope this stuff has has uh, offered some value to you. If you uh, if you're in if you're part of a team, uh, if you're not part of a team, I would suggest finding <laughs> finding a, a group. I don't care what it is, um, a group of people in your local community, uh, in your church building. Uh whatever it is, uh and you guys uniting and setting a, a common goal for yourself and uh and moving in that direction because it's powerful. It's powerful. And man, it feels good. It really does. So take all of these things into consideration and I truly believe this is one of the huge things that our society lacks is the ability to come alongside one another in order to achieve what is best for our community, for our nation, um, for Christ, whatever it may be. And that's why I wanted to sit down and have this conversation. Because we all see it happen, but I'm just like, I wanted to ask, how does this happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's I'll, not by accident. Before we finish, I just want to say I mean do you have anything else to share on the topic or are you no buddy well we've talked a lot about the Proven Ground and I just want to say we've changed the way that we sign you can sign up for it now that um, you just go on the website look at the Proven Ground and it'll tell you how to do it but you're submitting an application versus just having the link this time so just so people know the, the difference of it since we've talked so much about it yeah I, and I, I have something I might want to do with that yeah yeah We'll we'll announce that probably next week. Well, if you if you want to submit your application before Chad changes it, that's how you do it. Once he changes it, we'll let you know. Um, yeah, that sounds good. And I and I also do want to say what's uh what's interesting about you know there there are I I I don't know I've never been to any other people's experiences like training that they put on. If I I I want you guys to understand something about everything that we do. Everything that we do, we are trying to develop the full human. So these things that we do, it's not a, it's not a beat down. It's not a purely physical challenge. Um, it's an essential aspect, but that's not what anything that we do is. It's not just a come out and see how hard you are. Come out and see how much punishment you can take. No, I could, I mean, I could easily do, if we decided to train that way, it would be infinitely easier than what we actually do. Yeah. So the goal of everything that we do is to develop you physically, mentally, and spiritually. All right? And I think that's what makes our training different than anyone else's that I know of. Yeah. I, I really do. I think that's what makes it so powerful. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all you guys that have invested into the Body of 307 Project, invested into yourself. And I want to leave you with the reminder that there is there is nothing, nothing better to invest in, than yourself and your training. These are foundational skills that you can build upon in order to accomplish. Everybody just wants to go straight to learning the cool stuff. Like, teach me how to, teach me tactics. Teach me how to shoot. Teach me, none of that works. Like, all the cool stuff, none of that stuff works without the foundation. You have. That's the reason for range for our range training. When we teach people tactics, we will only teach people tactics that have trained at the proving grounds or the basic course. This is it's in for the public. I'm not skip. I'm not skipping ahead and teaching you this skill because it becomes dangerous then. Mm-hmm. If all you know is this tactical skill without the foundation of being able to unify, communicate, work as a team, uh, it doesn't work. It just becomes dangerous. Yeah, there's nothing easy or attractive about digging the foundation of a house and getting all your footers and form boards right. But all if you build a house on top of something that doesn't have all of that, then who cares how nice the yeah. cabinets are? I didn't touch... I did not touch a, a real gun in SEAL training until five months. Five months. It took five months of intensive training before I ever touched a real weapon. That's pretty crazy, ain't it? Yeah. But when you finally did pick that thing up, you were able to be the most effective fighting force on earth because of the foundation. So y'all don't skip ahead, man. And I don't care if you tra- <clears throat> train with me or train with some other credible company but don't think that you can skip the steps to become becoming a an effective force for good. All right? It's a process. I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Enough said.